Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory relentless performance for your firearms what's the best way to fish like a local what if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button now you can with fishing booker now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than thirty thousand fishing experiences at your fingertips just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide that's fishingbooker.com fishing booker fish like a local hey this is tyler and this is kc and you're listening to the element podcast What's happening, all my woods people? It's a beautiful day here in Texas today. Um, it's April 23rd. I don't know when this podcast is going to release, but we're hoping real soon. Um, this is the Newbie Cast, Casey. We are we are doing all things newbie here. That's right. That's right. And uh, newbie in many forms, I'd say. Right. So newbie to like just hunting, newbie to bow hunting, and in particular, newbie to public land, Texas public land solo bow hunting. Mm-hmm. We've had um, a lot of questions about this stuff as we've been kind of doing what we do mm-hmm. uh, through the years, and uh, one of our buddies got real specific uh, here a while back and sent us out kind of like a, a list well, of all the stuff. I yeah, he, he saw that well, message, yeah. Yeah, but he'd sent an email originally like with, with like a couple, and then yeah. you prompted and was like, hey, send us some, you know, everything mm-hmm. you kind of wanted to know about, mm-hmm. um, and then it's like, whoa, all right, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, yeah. so I'm excited, man. And since we're talking about Texas public land today, we crack on it a lot as being like pretty tough, you know, and it is, no doubt, um, because... Uh, I mean, you can sh- see our resume from Texas Public Lands. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's proof. And I'm not saying that we're great hunters or anything, but we give it a good go a lot during the season. We're you know? big hunters. We are. We're big. We're uh, <laughs> hoping to be smaller hunters at some time. Um, I actually ran this morning, which I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But um, we're we're talking about some Texas Public Land today, and Casey and I have pulled some cameras recently. Uh, we did a marathon day. We pulled uh, cameras that were like what four to five hours apart <laughs> yes <laughs> um, from each other and we had two in each location and one of these properties um has a giant on it absolute giant an absolute giant i mean this deer is a season changer we alluded to this in the last podcast it's probably at least it's a season changer for me i don't know that anything was going to change necessarily for you a whole lot but i do know that 
we talked about in one of the more previous or recent previous episodes about hunting a teenager and how we're going to set that up and we're going to look for water this summer and this and that. And we Mm -hmm. might still do some of that because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's fun. And, um, sometimes if it's not too hot, it can be pretty fun thing to do and have some cameras out and go pull them whenever we can. But, um, this deer has got us thinking it's worth, um, changing the season plans a little bit and spending a lot of time in this particular location where uh you and i have just kind of come across at some point uh in the last couple years and it's been a pretty good spot i would say from trail camera uh, information stuff Mm -hmm. we've seen some daylight movement when we've hunted there we haven't hunted a lot because it's kind of difficult to get to and everything but um for us but it's a it's a um it's this year we pulled a trail camera which was in like what late march or i think it was like late march and we're going through and i pretty much freaked out while you were driving and you were like dude i've never seen you act like this yeah. and i was like i was like turn the gopro on <laughs> <laughs> it was about time to pull over i think i actually did pull over and yeah look yeah we, st- well, we stopped at a stop sign right That's after right. i think yeah. we just sat there for a couple minutes just like what is this mm-hmm. the deer is a is a 10 point mm-hmm pretty much just a big 10 point and he is outrageous looking like he, he i told you before you saw the picture like this deer looks like a cartoon it's like not a real drawing of a deer it's like a fake drawing of a deer mm-hmm. you know like his uh his rack makes his head look small and he's a toad body somebody put some paper mache antlers on top of this deer's head that's what it, yeah that's what it looks like, like. Yeah. i mean just mass and just su- such a beautiful 10 point man just like big wide and when we're kind of explaining this for some of those guys out there that have an idea of how inches look and everything like that this deer has a very good chance and dude i I did him again this morning just because i was preparing for this but i i measured him up and i was like i cannot make him go less than like low 160s i mean but like he's probably and this is this is it's hard for me to make him go under 170 as you know a gross score or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, if I was to score him, give him you know? I'm trying to give him, I'm trying to give him, I'm trying to say, okay, well, it's, it's a, you know, Texas deer, a little bit smaller body, uh, mm-hmm. than some of the deer in the Midwest that we might see the Iowa bucks I was hunting yet last year and stuff. But, um, so I, I've tried to like go, okay, what is probably the smallest that this time is and measured him out. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Dude. Unreal, man. It is yeah. unreal. And it's like, I'm always excited about the season. Mm-hmm. This year can't get here soon enough. <clears throat> Dude, I'm telling you, man, like, it's, um, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, we, we got a bunch of daylight pictures of him during mm-hmm. the season, and so we didn't hunt this place a whole lot because, like I said, it's hard for us to get to. Um, we are hunting Iowa, we are hunting Kansas. Didn't he come through one afternoon that I hunted the morning? No, he came through, um, like a day and a half after oh, you were right, there. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. So, yeah. KC did get, like, one kind of late season hunt there. He was, he was in there a, about a day and a half later. Um, in the daylight, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mid afternoon daylight. Like right? dude, it was it was like when you would have been there. Oh it, yeah, it, you know it was a time that you would have been there. And anyway, um, we also got uh, pictures of him in late January. So that's proof that he made it through rifle season and everything, which is a tough deal to do out here. Um, with a, uh, I mean, our rifle season starts. Basically, first weekend in November and ends like the second weekend in January. So you're talking, you know, pretty much two full months or more of rifle season. And so he is there 
in late January, looking fine, coming through. Who knows if he's what he's doing? What's what's interesting to me and what we've got to do, what we've got to put a plan together for is trying to kill this buck um, next year. Um, and, and obviously that's that, but like we don't necessarily know if this deer lives super close by because mm-hmm. he's there several times, but he's not there. Like we've got another buck that's a pretty good up and comer. It's like a three year old. He'll probably be a good buck next year. And I told KC, I was like, dude, we if we hunt there a few times, we will probably see that buck. I mean, he comes through like every day, every other day kind of deer. And he's a good tall buck as well. Um, but, you know, this de- this big deer is like only there, you know, several times throughout the season, I think. So mm-hmm. at least on our cameras. And so, like, I'm kind of wondering, like, is there any way we can find a – find where find out where he's living we haven't done any like historical weather data matching up or anything um which actually i'm kind of wanting to do a a video that talks about how we would do that but that's beside the point we have to find this deer hopefully in the late summer and if we can do that i feel like october november we stand a pretty good chance of of seeing this deer but right now we don't really know where he summers you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah we don't we're and um Truth be told, we we only ran tr- two trail cameras on that property, and it could probably handle a few more, and mm-hmm. probably will this upcoming season. I yeah. imagine just uh, <clears throat> you know because of the exciting developments over there. Um, this place is is really a testament, I think, to like some good map scouting that we've done, mm-hmm. and then just you know luck isn't a word I like to use very often, but it's just not very often that. This place overperforms yep. for, for what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a place that, for some reason, I mean, there's hunters around and stuff like that, but for some reason, this is a place that, it's a spot, man. Mm-hmm. It's a spot. Yep. So it's a soft spot. We man. are, uh, we're excited about the upcoming season, and I think that this podcast is going to be probably a good thing for us to discuss, too, because honestly, um, something that happens as the season drags on is that, uh, you get a little bit sloppy with a lot of the <clears> stuff that's kind of like the bread and butter stuff that you think you know how to do, or at mm-hmm. least I'm saying myself uh, here. Um, and I think that going through some of the basics and some of the important stuff uh, that that comes along with hunting Texas public land is going to probably help us out a ton uh, kind of with our approach into hunting that deer too. Mm-hmm. Hey, and real quick, I wanted to mention that we are working with Onyx this year, so I just wanted to be frank about that with our audience. I want you guys to know that. And um, the reason we do it is because we use it every day. I mean, it's literally something that Casey and I are using every day. We're sending map dots, you know, over 300 days a year probably to each other. And it's what we found to be the most effective tool really for killing deer period for us, man. It was huge in my Iowa deer last year. Um, a huge part of our Kansas plan and obviously here in Texas. And now that we've, we've found this buck, um, that we're, we talked about in the beginning of this episode. I mean, the reason we found it is because you were doing some really intense map scouting pretty much. Yeah. I'd like to scour a little bit, you could say, and, uh, and really just try to find those honey holes, man. And there's not a better tool in my arsenal than using the Onyx app, especially the public land feature. And going along with that, we actually just got off of a big conference call for about an hour and a half with some of the guys at Onyx and just talking about how they can make the best product out there for the public land whitetail hunter and private land guy too. And guess what? They already do. But the cool thing about Onyx is they're constantly striving to make it the best and ever-changing, trying to make sure that they're bringing every piece of 
the toolbox that they can to you through that app from, you know, your outfitted guy in, in the Midwest down to the Georgia Mountains guy who just hunts the public land in, in his county. It doesn't matter. They care about that guy and try to make sure that he has all the tools he needs to find big deer using Onyx maps. That's right. So let's get back to Chris's questions now. There's something to be learned here for probably everybody because everybody mm-hmm. has a different system and looks at it a little different. And, I mean, every once in a while, you got to go back to some fundamental stuff. I mean, how many times does Tiger Woods change his swing up? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like there's a lot of different. Uh, and he doesn't do it in the middle of Masters. He does it yeah. like whenever it's a good opportune time. So exactly. instead of like trying to refocus on fundamentals on November 13th, yeah. let's do it on uh, April 23rd. <laughs> exactly. That way, exactly. That way we got plenty of time to get back into that mode. Yeah, for sure. So. With that said, we'll kind of get to that, but I got a couple of thoughts, man, mm, that, that okay. have just been, like, mm. I haven't really had a whole lot of, like, deep thoughts lately, but um, I got, I was running this morning, um, and I was doing 600s, and so what I would do is run a lap and a half, and then I would walk 200 yards and then run a lap and a half, right? So, um, I ended up, during my 200 yards, doing a lot of thinking of walking, you know, walking. Obviously, you were thinking I was, when you were running No, I was crying when I was walking, <laughs> or running, but uh, <laughs> I was walking, when I was walking, I was thinking, and so I uh, started thinking about a couple things. And the first thing is obviously while crying, I was thinking that I'm not very mentally tough, you know? And then, so I was kind of beating myself up about that. And I'm like, I feel like I'm physically tough. I think I talked about this recently. I don't know about mentally tough. My my wife thinks I am. I don't know if that's like, you know, playing to, uh, she just wants me to make me feel all right, you know, or what, what it is. But, um, but anyway, so I was like, you know, who's like, I, was, I don't know why, but this this is just a chain of thoughts. So if it doesn't make sense at first, maybe it will in a second. But like Cam Haynes breaks into my mind. He's like supposed to be the mental toughness king, you know, in our space or whatever kind of. And talk, he always talks about, you know, nobody cares, work harder, be tough, these different things. And I think that uh, Cam sets a pretty good example for a lot of things. But, you know, I always, I think about Cam when I'm running because it's always like that's the guy that, you know, Cam is like the dude in the outdoor space and one of the top long distance runners in the entire world. You know what I mean? Like you think about the length of his career and running big marathons and stuff. The dude's done it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, so I just won't be Cam Haynes. You know what I mean? See, like when I was playing football in the best shape of my life, probably similar type of physical fitness, but different. I was I was prepared for something different than what he's doing. And I was still 6'1", 215. I don't know what Cam is, but I could tell you if I went against him on the football field, I could throw him down like a rag doll. You know what I mean? I just, I just, that's how I feel is that like, he's, he's small, he's strong, he's a fast runner, but I'm not quite that. So I was just thinking like, this is just kind of a hype session for people. And just, I kind of wanted to encourage people. If you're doing this comparison game that we all get into with mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook and that kind of thing, man, mm-hmm. like don't, don't fall into that, man. Just be uh, be okay with who you are. And then also understand that like you can apply Cam's message of mental toughness to anything in your life, dude. You know what I mean? Like I've got like a couple of thoughts here that I I wrote down that I was thinking earlier, but like be a good dad, be like a for real good dad. When you're, when you got two kids that are laying in bed at 10 o'clock at night, you're exhausted. You got up at four 30, you've been working all day and they're crying and being fussy and doing, dumb things they want to drink a water they won't go to sleep you know it's like at that point like be tough and don't like lash out at them you know what i mean be like be considerate be empathetic but also be stern and help them learn lessons you know but um be a good husband like how many guys out there like love their kids but don't love their wife you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's it's and there are things that happen obviously i understand i'm not trying to accuse anybody of anything but just you know 
there are different, there are so many, so many ways we could love our wives better. Um, um, be a good community member or just like give everything you have and go spread the gospel. You know, like what, whatever it is you want to do, whatever it is you're, you think you can be good at and you're apt to go do it. And, uh, and don't compare yourself to Cam Haynes. If you're, if you want to be a good hunter, but you don't know where to, to be or where to do what to do or how to go after this thing, which we've had several people say that to us recently, like, don't be, uh, envious of what we get to do, you know, go do what you're good at, be a good hunter. If you can be good at it, but maybe you're just not a great hunter. Maybe you're a better dad. Maybe you're a better community member than Casey and I, you know what I mean? So anyway, just some thoughts. I don't want to go on and on about it, but my other theory that I've got that I was thinking about when I was running is... Um, Sorry I didn't have a lot of, uh, like... No, no, it's good. I was, I'm more taking in what you're saying. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. No, I, that's good, man. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm trying to get this done quickly so we can get on to the newbie stuff. <laughs> and then also we have a conference call here uh, as soon as we get off of here. So I'm trying not to run into too much so we can get as much information to the newbies as possible. Uh, but I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with the newbie thing. Like, yeah, don't yeah. compare yourself to yeah. these guys who've been hunting kind for of twenty a, or thirty a preface, years. Right? Exactly. Like you want to make sure that, like, you need to hunt for yourself. Yeah, exactly, much. exactly. So this is this is something that came to my mind. So like, <clears throat> you think about this with Lake Fork bass, right? The the bass see a lot of lures on Lake Fork. Mm-hmm. The ones that are apt to bite things or to be aggressive, or maybe they're just dumber than the other ones are the ones that get caught usually, right? Mm-hmm. So once a five-pound bass is caught and dropped on the deck of the boat and picked up and held out of the water for four or five minutes while somebody takes pictures and grabs their camera and everything and then put back and release, like that fish probably going to die. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like so the, the fish that are more apt to bite have a much higher chance and probably a much more like a, a – I mean I'm sure there are studies that show the mortality rate, right, of those – those fish that are caught. So over time, like you're taking your, um, herd, your school of fish, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that dynamic is becoming, uh, more, of survival of the fittest turns them into a, uh, a, sorry, a school of fish that does not, is not as apt to bite. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so like they they should become harder over time, technically. And obviously, stalking can help, you know, curb that, I guess. But, so, like, you would think of the same thing in the in the deer woods as well. Like, a deer that's more um, inclined to walk around in the daylight is probably going to have a better chance of getting killed, right? Mm-hmm. So, you would think, like, deer are going to get harder and harder to, to kill. But I have a theory that maybe, like, with all of this, um, like... Dudes that are like 16 and 18 right now and that are, they have so much information to learn mm-hmm. ab- about how to kill a deer and where to hunt and everything, right? They've got map tools. They've got everything that we didn't have. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like we had to, we had to go look at an outdoor life article written by some dude we didn't know from like Minnesota. Talking about apple trees. Talking about apple trees <laughs> and cornfields, you know, and here's how he goes from his batting to his corn. And then sometimes he'll visit this apple tree and you can swing, catch him on the swing there. It's like, dude, I've never seen an apple tree. I'm not sure if they really exist. Uh, are, do they grow on vines on the ground? I'm not sure, you know? So anyway, um, I kind of have this idea that maybe like as dudes become better hunters, which is no doubt happening. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're killing like stub- more stubborn bucks that they're kind of targeting, you know, mm-hmm. these more like nocturnal or whatever you want to call them bucks, these older bucks. And maybe deer will like, you see this curve of like where deer were 
just you were just killing anything and then we go into like the 90s where it's like the height of like management right Mm -hmm. and now we're kind of coming out of that a little more to like people are okay with killing like younger bucks um so like maybe people are going to kill more deer now again than they ever have because they're better hunters and they're a little bit more satisfied to kill something small and some of these like really good hunters are killing some of these old bucks and like you know it's just you're hunting younger deer or whatever. I don't know. I'm just thinking like, man, maybe, maybe it's, uh, we're going to see a lot of success in the next few years of, of dudes hunting or whatever. I like that. Deer, so. I like your thesis yeah. there. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know. But. So you've got two thoughts there. Does that mean you had two, two hundreds that you got to walk? Uh, I had three actually. Mm. <laughs> the, the first one I was just thinking about how terrible the first one was. <laughs> I ran three six hundreds and for time, you know, I tried to run them as fast as I could and, and not as fast as I could, but fast because I'm trying to train myself to run a faster uh, quarter. So I was like, I'm going to run three of these six hundreds really fast and train myself to like be able to, cause I died the last like one fifty when I ran that four hundred the other mm-hmm. day. So I'm not even going to say what time. Man, I a ran quarter in. is a lot further at in your thirties than it was when you were sixteen. <laughs> a lot further. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good through two fifty, man. Me too, know? man. It's like you hit that second uh, curve, curve, like midway oh my through. Goodness, like, like what's going on here? <laughs> it's terrible, dude. But anyway, so that's kind of all I got, man. So let's get to the newbie stuff if you're good with that. Yeah. Um, and so our our. Uh, our guy who sent us the questions, Chris, Chris, um, is, uh, we're kind of going to go through like what he kind of, like, I guess kind of, uh, through his series of questions. And, you know, if you guys have any more questions, feel free to reach out through any social media platform, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or whatever, and uh, ask us a question. We'll try to answer it best. I think he did a really great job of covering like a lot of like the questions that maybe people don't want to ask or don't think to ask like he's he's a pretty smart guy mm-hmm. i can tell I, sure. I appreciate like how extensive he was with with his questions and, and thoughts here yeah so chris let me lay out chris's situation here kind of he lives a couple hours away from a place that he wants he's told us that he wants to hunt a wma that's out here in kind of the east texas area and um so that's going to be like his first you know trip his first hunt um, like kind of out of the, out of, uh, you know, his area or whatever. So, um, I would say in this introduction here that you don't have to hunt public land. That would be like my tip is like, if you're a newbie, I would suggest using your network to avoid the extra pressure and difficulties that can come with hunting public land. So if you can, if you know somebody in your hood that has 30 acres or has a friend who has 30 acres, just be like, Dude, I'm a I'm a new hunter. I just want to kill a doe. Is there any way that you guys need some does taken off your property or whatever? You know, get your feet wet that way. And it's not because you know people who kill deer on public are some kind of great white hunter or whatever. You know what I mean? Like this is this is because it is difficult to deal with the extra pressures that come from people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So anyway, with that said, we're gonna kind of go into scouting. Um, you have some thoughts on scouting, and you're pretty oh, yeah. good at this type of stuff. Uh, so. Well, I try to be. You, you know, trying is the most important part, right? Well, That's what we're taught when we're in. It's not self-proclaimed. <laughs> so, um, so uh, I like his first question. Uh, he says, when and how often should I go and scout the area that I'm looking at? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that there's two contradicting thoughts here that we need to talk about. I think that... Um, through our escapades, we've proved that less is more. I think that there was uh, 
one year in particular, I think 2017. I think you're that right. We really got after the summer scouting, and we were checking trail cameras like every two or three weeks throughout the summer. <laughs> And getting some bad to the bone velvet videos of, of you know good Texas public bucks and stuff. And by the time mid October got there, like it kind of dried up that year. And I think that that pressure had an effect for sure. Like like there's no question that pressure had an effect. And this is a scenario that's played out itself out a couple times uh, through us and just other human pressure that we see in areas. But in general. When it comes to scouting, I think less is more. I think that um, it's also important to have a very comprehensive familiarity with the area that you want to go hunt. So how do you blend those two things? And I think that what you and I have kind of started doing nowadays, um, for now, is our answer to this. might not be the best thing, but that is our answer now. And that is um, we don't go in in the uh, uh, running gun, hanging hunt style very often. Because, A, we hate hanging in trees that we haven't seen in the daylight. It's the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know, you don't have a clue what you're going to actually see whenever the sun comes up. And, B, like, you can go in there and really mess some stuff up. So, I think that what we do now is that we find a place that we want to go and we know we want to hunt that season. We will go in and spend, like, almost a whole day just tearing that thing apart, looking at every little detail, considering food sources, you know, late season, early season, this and that, pinch points, water sources, all of that, and and then maybe locate stand trees, think about wind directions, all in one big day right there with, you know, your map system like Onyx on your phone, working through all this, making sure you take detailed notes, whether that's on your Onyx app or a notepad or whatever, that way you know whenever it comes hunting day, the most effective and easiest way to get in and get out without bumping deer. And I think that that's really what's going to give you uh, your best chance at having a, a, a shot at a public land buck in Texas. Yep. For sure, man. I, I think that's uh, that's good. Like, that's very good overall advice. And he asked a couple, like, detailed questions about, like, when he should hang a trail camera. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, you know, a spring thing, late spring, summer? And how long to set it up? And then he's he also tree trimming for future use question mark. Mm-hmm. So you can't trim trees uh, on public, but you have uh, a new trick. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, so um, you can take paracord, and this is something that I would do probably closer to when you're going to actually hunt. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't leave it like this all summer because I'm not sure how. Uh, you happy might, people would be with you that. You might end up with a deer with de- damaged velvet because he <laughs> yeah. caught up in your paracord. Yeah. So, uh, like, for, for limbs and, and saplings and stuff like that, we'll take paracord and we will tie them off to create shooting lanes. And so that's pretty helpful. Um, been a pretty helpful thing for us, uh, especially on the property that we uh, found the big buck. Mm-hmm. When we hunted it uh, a couple years ago before we even knew that it was, you know, had any big deer on it, really. And so... Um, Anyway, that's something I would do, um, but you probably do that, like I said, closer to the season or when you're going to be hunting. Yeah. I mean, technically, we do it when we walk in pretty much, and you yeah. can create kind of a little scent uh, area right there if you get too crazy with it, yeah. but just take a, you know, figure out while you're in there what uh, shooting lanes you want and that kind of thing, and then, you know, just know how many pieces of string to bring and try to make as 
few of them as possible. Yeah, you don't need you know? 18 shooting lanes, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, I mean, you have a particular wind direction you're going to hunt a spot on. If you got one pretty good shooting lane, that's pretty good for Texas public land. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a Sendero out on all the, the, the what's it called, the primal directions or whatever. Uh, uh, north, south, east, yeah, and west. Southeast. Cardinal. Yeah, Cardinal. That's yep. right. Yeah, so you're not going to have, like, a perfect six-foot lane every one of those, right? Yeah. But if you can just do something to, you know, because you're trying to maximize your opportunity at a shot, right? Uh-huh. I think ideally um, the way you could play this out is go in, have your just tear it up day like mid-August, uh-huh. uh, put out a trail camera or two or yeah. three or 12, whatever you feel like doing, you know, also could be a less is more situation. Yeah, uh, I think so. You know, yeah. trail cameras are fun, but how many times have one or the other of us just been like, I wonder if we're doing anything good with this right now? Yeah, you know oh, I mean? for sure. Especially so. that early season stuff, man. Yeah. Um, trail cameras that, really. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, have your trail cameras out in November, no doubt. Yeah. Because you can learn stuff for next year. Exactly. That's whenever. That's I mean, when it counts. 100%. That's where they're becoming effective for yeah. us now. Yeah. Uh, that and like in season data, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, like, we were talking about this the other day. I don't know if there's been maybe one deer that we've seen in season that we have in preseason trail camera mm-hmm. stuff. It's a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of good comes from it going in there and putting those and you're learning a whole bunch of stuff by scouting, but you don't get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. So ideally, if you want to run an early season trail camera, go in in August, tear a place up, figure out everything that you can from that trip, hang a trail camera, and then let it sit for like a month and a half. Maybe go in in late September uh, just on a mission, go grab that card, go to your stand location, use your paracord, make your make your uh, your shooting lane out of that paracord, and then be ready to hunt in a week or two when you get that right cold mm-hmm. front or right wind that you want to hunt there. So yeah. that's kind of to avoid the scent thing that you're talking about, right? Like yeah. I remember what you're talking about whenever we tied stuff up a paracord on that place, and, and I remember thinking like, oh. We're gonna to have to shoot him before he gets close to that right there mm-hmm. because that's gonna be bad. He's yeah. gonna smell it. Ground scent. Yeah. So um one way one place where paracord really messed us up was Iowa. Ooh. <laughs> we were using it in Iowa this year. You can probably or you can definitely go watch this hunt in the season playlist. Um the last day of our first Iowa trip. No, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the last I guess it was the last, day, last afternoon. Hunt. Yeah. Yeah, last hunt. Um we uh we had snow and everything and we had finally cued in on this buck's bedding area big slob 10 point and ended up i'll tell this quickly but you know basically we just were we're doing we were on private so we were sawing a couple little limbs breaking a few things and i was kind of making a racket trying to like get these limbs pulled in to create some shooting lanes because i didn't want to saw a whole lot of stuff on this dude's property you know but a couple little limbs we took off and then after that it was like let's pull these limbs in tie them off here and i had like a spider web going and as i'm like putting on my my jumpsuit my real tree jumpsuit casey's like don't move, you know, kind of freaks out, you know, you, the story, if you listen, you're, you've heard the story, but basically we called a buck in by doing that. And he saw us at like 30 yards, the buck, the buck. yeah, the buck yeah. in at 30 yards. Cause he was bedded probably about 70 yards and yeah, he should, he saw us and we pretty much, uh, didn't, we almost killed a deer later that afternoon, we but, did. We did. uh, didn't really quite have the buck that we wanted to yeah. come through. So I think, uh, in that, I believe maybe, he talked about this maybe not i think it's a good place to mention it though because we're picking out stand trees and that's kind of to go along with what you're talking about you know clearing a, a stand tree uh yeah he says trimming stuff right so um you're gonna want to 
pick out a good tree for that. Now, that doesn't mean pick out the most perfect, straightest, beautiful tree. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that you need to pick out the right tree for whatever the hunting situation is. I mean, the same thing. That time that Tyler and I were on Texas Public, tying stuff of par- paracord that we've been talking about, we were in a tiny tree, mm-hmm. both of us. Like a uh, locust or a cedar yeah, elm like or something a, like that. a locust. We were like 11 foot up. Yeah. And if we moved too much, the thing wiggled for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying hunt in that tree because really it wasn't the ideal. But gotta sometimes, have wind if you hunt in a yeah, tree like that. Exactly. So. If you're gonna if it's gonna move like that, you gotta have some breeze. Uh, but I think a big point to go along with this, it might step on the toes of a couple other questions down here, but I think we need to talk about it now. Is you need to practice hanging your and climbing in your stand in not perfect trees. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people. Like, it's become a cool thing and a smart thing, and it is a good thing to go out and practice before deer season, you know, hanging your stand or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you do it on a telephone pole, you're not going to learn a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, like going up I mean, a crooked or a halfway leaning or tiny tree, that's what you're going to actually encounter. Or in a limmy tree, yeah. like you like to say. Yeah, limmy trees. That's right. I mean, those are, but those are fun because you don't have to use many sticks sometimes. Oh, yeah. You, you can, can get find a limmy tree, up, you know. You can cut 10 pounds out of your pack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we, we did actually a, a, a video of how to hang a stand recently. So mm-hmm. we're, we're doing uh, some videos right now that are part of our newbie series that are, we're trying to help some of these new hunters that have been inquiring with us and so we've done several videos and we'll talk about some of them later here in a little bit but one of them is how to hang a tree stand and we did it on the most beautiful red oak that i've ever seen right here in my yard you know and it's like the reason we did that is because it's straight i'm not going to have any problems we're going to whip this video out real quick you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so but yeah you definitely need to practice on uh not straight straight red oaks you know or whatever you got to get up in a cedar elm or uh, in a hickory or something like that that's, you know, not not super tall or whatever. And, you know, just kind of practice a few times. And like you said, you can do that, man, in a lot of a lot of uh, front yards or backyards and that kind of thing. People may look at you weird, but once you get up there, they might not even see you. They already so. look at me weird. <laughs> there you go. Um, the next thing on the list is clothing. Yeah. You mentioned your Realtree jumpsuit while ago. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, he's asking about, like, scent, protect, or scent prevention, um how do you wash and pack what you're wearing? Mm-hmm. He talks about that he's a PE teacher, so he has a lot of athletic wear. No, no camo. What colors do we suggest? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, blue jeans, are they okay? Um, he has no hunting gear yet. So, yeah. um, you know, we talked about the scent stuff um, earlier when we were mentioning, you know, hanging the stand and everything and, and uh, tying off limbs and that kind of thing. And there's going to be some inherent ground scent you're going to have one way or the other. So you got to think about access when it comes to that, because there's no way to get rid of all of your scent. There's just no way to do it. It doesn't matter what slogan you look at on any clothing company. Especially when you're hunting public land, especially in Texas. Mm-hmm. Hot area of the country, um, a place that you're going to go in, like... At least a half mile, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to sweat. Yeah. And once you do that, scent control's all done at yeah. that point in time, right? Like, I mean, you and I still practice a lot of this stuff because we always say every little bit helps. But at the same time, man, like, being real sure of your wind directions and where your wind is going and eliminating ground scent. I think those are the two huge things when it comes to scent control. Yeah, do everything you can with your gear. You know, maybe don't douse it in gasoline before you go out. But, I mean, mm-hmm. golly, like, it's not going to make that much of a difference if you're being smart with your wind. There's a hunt, our last hunt of 2017, 
uh, we saw a giant buck on, on Texas public, a big mm-hmm. six point, mm-hmm. and uh, ended up trying to shoot two baby bucks. Uh, <laughs> yep. And uh, ground scent tore us up on that. Yep. Because, A, I don't think we were wearing rubber boots at that point in time, mm-hmm. which I'm not 100% convinced that works all the time, but it's better than not. Mm-hmm. And then, B, we set packs down in a place that actually ended up being like our shooting lane. Yeah. And those baby bucks got to like 45 yards, smelled where we had set our packs down, and locked it up. Yeah. They didn't just, come any further. They would not come any further. Mm-mm. They didn't really get freaked out. But they just stood there for forever yeah. and like looked into the woods, like where mm-hmm. where is that? You know, where yeah. is that thing? So, so I think the big thing on on the scent control is like knowing your approach, like you said, like your access, and not laying down too much scent on the way in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's and a lot of times on public, you can't help where your access is. If if you're going to get in the mix of some deer, you might have to come, you know, come from where they're kind of coming from. So you just do your best to not uh, touch anything as you're kind of going in the best you can. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to walk on a trail, you know, hopefully you're not brushing a bunch of grass and stuff along the sides of it. But, you know, I try not to be on trails very long. Um, uh, Also, so back to the clothes a little bit here. Um, You know, we, Casey and I wear, um, and you've probably noticed, we wear a lot of Sika stuff. And I've got other stuff. I've got the Realtree jumpsuit. i got that Scree uh, jacket. And we go through all this stuff in a, um, like a camo, what's it called? It's like a uh, gear camo review or something. It's in our... Complete camo system, Yeah, maybe? something like that. Yeah. Camo system or whatever. It's like what we wear. And so you'll see some high dollar pieces in there. And you'll see some not so high dollar pieces, some $7 pieces or whatever. And so... You can go watch that video. Um, it's in our Element evals, uh, which are kind of our gear reviews. Um, so you can watch that. Uh, I believe that's what it's in. Um, and so we actually did a podcast on that, too, and talked about it. That coincides. So you could probably go back and find that if you're listening to this podcast. Anyway, I'll go through a couple of things real quick. I'll also talk about the fact that uh, we wear the sickest stuff because we feel like it does a really good job. It's really well thought out. Sika is not paying us. And I'll tell you this, too. They don't really plan to pay us, okay? (laughs) Like, I've talked to them, okay? They're not trying to give us any money right now. And that's okay because – and we told them we're still going to wear your – we're Sika. I mean, it's not like – and, you know, so anyway, I think there are different kinds of gear out there that you can get that are going to be starting to become equivalent to the same production value, the same uh, type of engineering thought and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, but for now, this is what we've got. We've had family and friends give us stuff. We've had some, them send us stuff. We've bought a few pieces, mm-hmm. you know, and so we've got that kind of stuff, and it's great. But if you don't, if you don't want have a bunch of money to spend, um, my favorite pants still are not sick of pants. They are the Wrangler um, outdoor outdoor gear mm-hmm. or whatever outdoor pants. They're like brown pants that you can get from Walmart. They have for, a lot of colors now. They do. They got they have forest khaki, green. They've got gray. They've got black. dark brown. Yeah. Yeah. So you can buy them. Uh, I bought I've bought all mine for like $22. Yeah, they're still cheap. And they're like flexible. And so they're not like great uh, thorn busters, but they're like when you're walking around and stuff, you can't beat them, man. Um, so yeah. yeah. And, and we, then to, you know, talk more about like camo and concealment and stuff like that. Man, honestly, Solids work pretty good if it's a it's a, if it's an earth tone, um, like those pants you're talking about. They're solids, mm-hmm. right? And you, it's pretty much standard wear in a tree stand for us. Once before we put on like our, we usually have like a warm big thing that we put on over. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, like you know, if it's earlier season, we're wearing those pants mm-hmm. usually. Uh, so, you know, when you're talking about like even mid layers, 
I'm probably going to get a down puffy of some sort this year to wear, and it's probably going to be a solid because I want to use it multi-purpose and you know be able to go out with my wife and have a nice puffy and it not mm-hmm. be camo and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of like what you said, we wear the sickest stuff kind of as our, our, our outers because, I mean, it's the best stuff we have for mm-hmm. sure. But you actually, like, a lot this year wore the big – Real tree coveralls that oh, are pretty was, much a sleeping bag that you can put on, right? It is the best, man. Like, big old, you know, just kind of sized up a, a touch. Mm-hmm. Um, coverall, walls coverall front that's in real tree camo. There were a lot They're of old. Bigfoot sightings in Iowa this year by other people, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that's, I mean, a big coverall, man, is just hard to beat, man. You keep all your body heat inside, yeah. and when it's cold, it's just, I mean, you know, I, I don't know, I... I thought that that was the best thing I had to keep me warm. So mm-hmm. I would put everything I had that was warm underneath. And, and um, you know, we wear – we try to wear, like, synthetics when we're walking in as a base layer because they they um, dry out really quickly and you're going to sweat a little bit, like mm-hmm. Casey said. Um, but, yeah, you can wear um, mottled flannels and browns and greens and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So You said layers there. Tell us a little bit about layers. Yeah, layers. Um, the best way that – you know, people have found so far really to keep warm is to layer. So we layer really light going in. It's, you're going to be cold when you hop out of the truck. You just got to make sure you and your hunting guy, your hunting partner are on the same same uh, schedule. You don't mm-hmm. want to be standing there for like 10 minutes while you're freezing, you know. So, But once you're both ready, you hop out and you take um, you take probably usually, I mean, you, it could be really cold, guys. And if you're walking in like a synthetic base layer, and that's pretty much it. Like you're going to heat up pretty quick, especially if you got a backpack on. Like yeah, you and a stand do. and yeah. all that. So yeah, so I mean, we usually start out with that, and once you get to the stand, you've got all your layers in or on your backpack strapped one way or another, and we um, uh, we'll get to the stand and start to layer up once we mm-hmm. get set. Yeah. So and then when when I say it, when I mean that is like mid layer, um, and you're probably better at this than me. You change socks and stuff like that. Yeah. But you got a mid layer and outer layer. So typically like a three piece system, but usually like when we're in Kansas, it's like a nine piece system for yeah, me. The outer layer, <laughs> outer layer, outer layer. Yeah, outer exactly. Layer. Yeah. And a lot of times you can find that kind of stuff on a couple different places, like online or even locally. That's quite a bit cheaper than either going to a box store or, mm-hmm. you know, ordering straight from a manufacturer. Like I've ordered quite a bit of stuff. Uh, from Steep and Cheap or Camo Fire. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I've been in Goodwill a few times and seen some pretty nice camouflage hunting stuff mm-hmm. to to uh, use, uh, you know, while hunting. Now, that's something that you probably want to wash a little bit and make sure that the scent's decent on and whatnot. But still, yep. like, you can find... D- don't be afraid to find the most effective and possibly cheapest way to get what you need. That way you mm-hmm. have gas money and tag money to go on these exactly, hunts. Exactly, man. That's the that is the main deal, dude. Like it's all we got to be about experience. And of course yeah. you don't want to experience it and be miserable. That's right. But miserable like, experiences aren't as good as no, good experiences. They're not. <laughs> but like get you some good gear uh to to uh, for underneath or whatever and like KC said, dude, there's no reason to have a camo base layer. You know what I mean? I mean, unless it's hot as all get unless, out, and that's going to be your thing. What that you're, you're wearing, wearing on the outside, yeah. but like, I mean, when you're talking, like, you got some. I think in that video, you got like some black Russell leggings oh, yeah. or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, and it's like, dude, there ain't no reason. So if you're, you know, at least we're talking to Chris here, but you know, for other people, if you're looking to get into some camo, just whatever's going to be your most outer thing, make it camo, yeah. and then everything else, you can figure it out from there. So. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, um, as far as like boots go, uh, or as far as like scent go, um, I really, I'll spray my boots a lot, but I, I don't do a whole lot of spraying down and stuff. You and I, um, neither one of us have a really great living situation right now. I don't actually own a washer or dryer. And so it's tough for me to wash clothes during the season. So you and I are just going to have stinky clothes. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean stinky like, you know, we're nasty smelling necessarily to people, but to deer we are. Yeah. And so uh, we just watch our access the best we can and try to blow our wind over a creek or a lake or something, you know. I mean, I killed that deer in Iowa blowing my wind, on, you know, over a creek. And he tried to slide. They tried to slide right down the edge of that thing behind me. You know, I just shot him before they got to my wind. But... um you're just going to have have to deal with that, man. I mean, you can watch a million videos out there where people are trying to shoot something before it gets to their wind, and that's mm-hmm. just what, what – it doesn't matter how much scent, um, you know, elimination that you do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that's part of it. Yeah. Um, so, so something we have a ton of experience with, and especially, I believe, you, because you're better at just organization than I am. A little bit. We're both not the most organized people ever, but mm-hmm. uh, is packing your vehicle – for a trip like this now it's different and we do this a lot where we make a you know two three hour drive uh, you know midday to go hunt in the evening and come back but if you're going for an overnighter or a full day trip there's a ton of considerations to put into stuff uh when you start talking about those time slots because you can't just you know stop at taco bell and eat mm-hmm. if you if you're out in the middle of nowhere hunting deer right, right? and uh, amongst other things so um you actually put together a little video about mm-hmm. about this thing yeah so that's gonna i'm gonna do my best to release the video very close to when this podcast is released hopefully before so that we can have the link in the show notes so mm-hmm. if it's there then i did good if i if, if i couldn't get it ha- to happen right at this you know time that you're listening to this i'm sorry but uh, I think we're going to try to make that happen so that you can go down and watch that video at some point. And we'll probably mention that again at the end just to remind you after you're mm-hmm. done listening. Uh, but, yeah, I'll go – we'll both go over kind of a high level maybe yeah. of what, like, goes in. So, you know, obviously, like you said, you have to have food and water. So mm-hmm. a lot of times we're carrying uh, – we used to carry, you know, big old packs of bottled water. But uh, now we carry Nalgene's in some uh, – in like a um, – tank you know of water essentially yeah. common sense conservation yeah right? yeah not they don't need all that plastic out yeah, there exactly yeah. so um foods are perishable items or non-perishable items a lot of times and then uh some of the more perishable items um that are healthy for you you know we we uh those maybe don't sit in our food box quite as much or as long during the season you know you got to mm-hmm. kind of think about that as you go through the season but i don't know you did dig, dig an apple out the other day that had been there well like a month and a half yeah looked pretty good that was actually in my bed of my truck yeah. it wasn't in my food box <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so a food box is good to have because you keeps your bread from getting crushed and stuff like that you know um obviously your clothing your bow your tree stands your sticks and all of this it's good to have a backup of anything that you can afford to have you know mm-hmm. um uh what else a game card if you're hunting public especially you know so uh, something to carry your deer out with, because um, I think in Texas, I believe you have to do it whole, right? Yes. Uh, you have to carry out whole, so uh, it, that depends on your state regs and everything, on whether you can quarter it and put it in a backpack and walk it out, or you have to actually bring it on, on a game card or something like that. So, things to be thought about. Um, just read through the rule book. Most of the time, they're not super confusing. It's just an extra hour of work, you know, for you mm-hmm. to have to read through stuff. So, 
Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, um, so might go in the back of a truck or go. Oh, well, tools are nice to have. Yeah, tools. You know, you know if you're going to do an overnighter, uh, sleeping in the yeah, truck is yeah, going to yeah. be a thing that you're going to want to consider. You do. You sleep a lot in the cab, even yeah. though you're a big guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, it depends. Yeah, it definitely depends. Uh, but I did a lot this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, sleeping in the bed of the truck is probably going to be more comfortable if it's temperate weather. Mm. Uh, if you've got a decent pad to sleep on or something. But a lot of times, like even for one dude, you fill up the whole bed of a truck with your junk. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of a tough thing to do. So you just got to figure that out. I will tell you this: getting sleep on a trip like this is imperative. Mm-hmm. You can't run on five hours of crappy sleep for very many days yeah it didn't work very good yep. you're going to be a better hunter if you can find a way to sleep so honestly if you can find a cheap old motel for 35 40 bucks just do it mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. if it's the difference and you killing it or not go ahead and do it and yep. something you know this isn't packing your truck i know but we're kind of going off on a little tangent here mm-hmm. something you can do is if you know you're going to do that call ahead you know make your reservation whatever a day or two beforehand and tell them to not put the flowery scent stuff in your <laughs> yeah. room, and, it, and it, it'll help, you know, at least make you feel better about it smelling yeah. like downy. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, ice chest placement is something yes, that, just that we s- should probably key on. Uh, yep. Tyler likes to have his chocolate almond milk uh, when we go places, <laughs> or chocolate regular milk and leave it in my ice chest. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it's you can always do the mountain house thing and not even have to have ice chest, but sandwiches are way cheaper and we do that quite a bit mm-hmm. uh you're gonna want to position your ice chest even though it's a big bulky thing towards the tailgate of your truck because mm-hmm. that's where it's going to be the easiest to access from yeah 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 you got to have it accessible mm-hmm. however you do it and because you're going to be getting drinks and food out of it so. something you can do i think i've done this in the past is uh actually bring two ice chests like a small little food ice chest and mm-hmm. then like the ice chest that animals go in mm-hmm. and you can like not put anything in that and multi-purpose it as a storage tote, and then mm-hmm. when you kill something, break it down, put it in there, put ice on it. But yeah. that way, you can put your big ice just towards the front of the truck, and it's not in the way the whole time. And something you do, I've never done this really. My dad does it too, though, but um, frozen water jugs mm-hmm. are kind of the thing. So they last a lot longer than uh, ice you'd buy from a convenience store. Yeah. They're cheaper, and you can throw them in an ice chest for several days and still have ice in there as long as you don't open it up mm-hmm. so that if you need to cool them, uh, meat off really quick then you've got it you know what yeah I mean? and so. you can reuse them you can yep. just freeze them again it doesn't water down your meat when it when it thaws and mm-hmm. if you're on a long hunt and you're like we were in new mexico it can be a lifesaver because you can drink the water that's in those things yeah uh although when tyler brings a jar of jalapeno salsa and breaks <laughs> it in there sometimes it infiltrates the water jug Ooh. and then you have jalapeno water we had which the spiciest is, water you it's ever better had. than no water i can <laughs> promise you that <laughs> Hey, dude, I have messed up some, some oh, no, no. ice chest situations for you. I, I'm more of the mess up usually, but <laughs> we're just pointing yours out today. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, dude. Um, so, yeah, that I would say I was definitely going to get to the ice chest thing. Yeah, make sure you yeah. got it in a good spot. I think one of his specific questions was ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked if you should pack ice, you know, in preparation for your, for your animal. Um, okay, so the water jug thing is something I do a lot, but, like, if it's not something that you feasibly can do, um, usually you're going to be okay and just go get ice when you kill. Cause I hate for you to like go buy ice and not kill that yeah. time or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think just to answer that question straight up, I would say, wait until you kill it. And then you, I mean, as long as like, you don't take a long time before you get the ice, you're fine. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're hunting, 
If you're hunting public land in Texas, you're probably not going to need the ice. You know what I mean? Like, you're probably not going to kill a deer. It's I almost just... choked my water just then. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just trying to be frank. Like, yeah. You're probably not going to kill a deer. It doesn't matter if you're experienced or newbie or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just tough. So, um, there are certain hunts that you can look up statistics for and see, okay, well, a lot of people kill on that hunt, you know? It's yeah. A, or if it's a turkey hunt or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, if you're hunting, if you're hunting a private place in Texas, then there are plenty of deer in this state. You know, um, mm-hmm. in certain certain areas of the state. So, it just kind of depends on where you're going, how how much you expect. If you're going to be shooting a doe, or or you're looking for a mature buck, especially if you're looking for a mature buck, you're probably not going to need ice. So, if you can, you know, if you if it's not 90 plus degrees, then I wouldn't buy ice until you've you've killed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And usually there's a town somewhere close. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. so um, we've done a little bit of this, well, not an extensive amount, but, uh, Chris asked about kayak mm-hmm. access. Now I, I'll be straight up and tell you, I have never unloaded my kayak out of the truck, paddled three miles back to a spot, but you and I regularly were using a kayak to cross a body of water at probably multiple seasons. We did that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a little bit of experience with it. Um, so he talks about like concealment of the kayak is mm-hmm. one of the things he mm-hmm. discusses. We didn't really worry about that. We used an orange kayak. And I can't see that, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, but uh, really, like um, we uh, usually like depending on the body of water or whatever, you can usually find a way to kind of stash it and just kind of hide it a little bit. Um, one of the other things I will tell you about kayak uh, access is um, if you can at all find a cheap pair of waders to wear. Just go ahead and get those. Be sure you use a waiter belt because you don't want them filling up whenever you fall out. Um, but don't fall out is really the better thing to say. But <laughs> use the waiter belt. Anyways, if you can use a cheap pair of waiters, it will avoid having a soggy butt. Because I know that more, more than one occasion, we got a little bit wet, wet yeah. using a kayak, crossing stuff. And then you can just get there. If you want to, just pull your waiters off. If you don't want to, it's a great way to go Bill Winky and just hold your scent in in a big trash bag soon yeah exactly <laughs> it's a it's a, a, a think really an imperative thing i learned that trick um uh, actually fishing <clears throat> on the coast uh i used to go out with some buddies and target big speckle, speckled trout in the winter and i never really thought about it i just thought that like you had to deal with a soggy butt but uh they kind of showed me the wader trick you never yeah. actually even stepped foot in the water with your waders but right. just having them on kept you dry yeah for sure i think that's a good a good thought. I mean, personally, I'm not huge on the kayak thing. You mm-hmm. know that um, about me, but um, but I think that things could change. You know, depending on what your system is. So, for instance, um, if you're using a a saddle, might be you know a kayak might be a better option for you. But when you start talking about like taking a stand in and sticks and a bow, like what are you gonna do when you kill the deer? Yeah, and then you got to put the deer yeah. on the kayak. Now, our right? buddy. Parker, yeah, he has. I think he has a new canoe, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a heavy duty kayak, and he can handle that weight. But like right. most kayaks aren't gonna. At least they might be rated for it, but they're not gonna be fun to have a deer carcass plus a bow and stand and all that stuff mm-hmm. on there with you kayaking out. So yeah. it's not a great system. It's a good way to get away from people, is yeah. what it is. But like, and that that you know helps you to be successful for sure. But I think that uh, you got to think about the logistics of it, and not to mention just dealing with the extra. And if you're traveling, like you can't really. I mean, unless you've got a rack on top, you can't have a camper on your truck, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing to have if you're going <clears throat> traveling and that kind of thing, and you're going to sleep in the back of your truck, or if you're just going to try to, you know, if, if you got to go to Walmart at any point, you have to 
load everything into the cab of your truck if you don't have a it's camper on it. You know, it's not fun. So, yeah, he anyway. asked about people stealing it. I mean, I guess it's always a thing. Uh, anytime I've used a kayak hunting, you could probably see the kayak from the tree stand. So you—that's what I was going to mention. Smoke somebody if, if you're they, not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, if if you if you're, uh, if you're not hunting close to where your kayak is going to land, then it's probably not a great idea either. Possibly, it's, it's like. I mean, you could, I don't know. It could take a lot of time to get into a stand. You could burn yourself out real quick by, yeah. like, taking this whole, you know, four, foray through the, you know, river system or whatever and then hopping up and riding and getting a half mile out, you know. <clears throat> so I don't know about, like, I don't think people are going to – you don't have to worry about too many people stealing it, like you said. People mm-hmm. aren't going to mess with it much because they know – like, stealing a trail camera is one thing because a guy's going to walk in there and not see his trail camera and walk back out and be safe. Mm-hmm. But people are like, if they steal your ca- kayak, they're pretty much saying, this guy might be stranded and die out here. Yeah, or something. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's a little yeah. different. And you can uh, always stash your paddle in a different spot and then that, yeah. they have a hard time yeah, for do, sure. doing that thing. Uh, so. One thing I would like to throw in there, too, is that <clears throat> growing up, me and my dad actually did a lot of hunting where we did put in and go aways out of a canoe. And a canoe is more cumbersome. If you got two people, though, like it's the way to go if you have a decent sized body of water. Because you and I did it once, mm-hmm. uh, kind of just as a through trip. Um, but it's way more stable than a kayak if you got people who are used to canoes, and you can carry a ton more weight. Like I remember one time we went on a hog hunt, and there was like six hogs and three dudes in a in a canoe. <laughs> well, I wasn't in that canoe, but like you're talking about, like I don't know easily over a thousand pounds in mm-hmm. this canoe and it's still afloat and doing fine right mm-hmm. so like that's another thing to think about i know kay- kayaks are kind of the the rage right now but like the old school canoe is something you can definitely get into and probably do a lot cheaper honestly yeah. people sell those at garage sales and stuff all the time for sure um you um i, I kind of wanted to go back to this because i missed i missed it but uh in the scent the scent mm-hmm. prevention and that kind of thing or you know scent being aware of scent mm-hmm. i guess um you, uh, I mean, we both use these, but now, but you started using these, um, and talk about like how you check the wind. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we use milkweed tassels nowadays, which no matter where you're at in the country, you can pretty much fun, find some type of milkweed to use. We're starting to get to the time of year, a couple months from now. Yeah. Be able to find it's them all out. sprouting out right now. If you're in Texas, green antelope horns is going to be the kind of milkweed you'll see. It'll be like in cattle pastures and stuff like that. Um, it just looks like a kind of a tropical looking plant with some flowers on top and these big old pot seed pod deals on it. And uh, once those seed pods turn brown, you'll be able to crack them open and there's a whole bunch of little filaments in there. Pull that out, put them in a, uh, I put them in little pill bottles, mm-hmm. like a prescription bottle, you know, the kind of the amber colored ones. Or I used to have a green one and I liked it because it was fashionable, but I don't I think know. I had happened. the green one. Did you? Mm-hmm. And I lost it. You stole my green one. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought I had one too. Maybe I didn't. Um, yeah, you you were jealous of. Mine. Don't be too attached You're to green your green within to your. Yeah, that's right to your milkweed bottles because they disappear. Yeah, uh, but man, I don't remember who even learned that from. It's kind of a thing that kind of caught on all about the same time. Yeah, um, kind of you know four or five years ago, people it's started really using good it. stuff. Oh, it's bad at the bone. I mean, I mean, it's better than the commercial scent checkers you can buy. Oh yeah, but if you don't if you don't have time to get milkweed or whatever, get a commercial deal and you can check you know the one with that or whatever. I used it's to handy do, to have though. I used to do some weird stuff like. So, I have this weird thing where I can pretty much pull out hair on my body and it doesn't hurt. 
Tyler sees me do all the time on mm-hmm. a beard. I kind of have a nervous thing where I pick on my beard a lot. <laughs> but, like, I can, like, take leg hair and just pull out a whole bunch of it, and that it doesn't really weird, hurt. dude. And you can use that, too. Drop it in my drink <laughs> over here. <laughs> you can use that, too, if you can't find any milkweed. But that, I used to do that um, to check the wind, and that was kind of a weird thing, <laughs> for sure. Uh, y'all just pull y'all leg hair out and throw it out in the <laughs> yeah. wind. If you're a lady hunter, sorry. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, it's winter time. They That's probably true. Got you it. probably can pull that. Ladies too. I know like to grow their hair Ooh, out on the legs that time man. of year. Okay, next uh, question. Okay, so, anyway, <laughs> uh, so we're kind of, I guess, are you ready to move on to like the harvesting of the, the yeah, deer? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, that's the only things I can think of kayak-wise. Okay, so... Uh, he talks about how he kind of just owns a regular pocket knife. Um, mm-hmm. what, what should he use to field dress? Uh, should he carry game bags? How many? Best way to bigs. drag bigs. Uh, best way to drag a kill to the har- to harvest area. Um, yeah, like hang up or keep an animal on the ground. Uh, gutting or non gut or gutless method. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? So, yeah, we'll let's start there, and then if we yeah, need yeah. to cover more, okay. we can. I think that. Um, the hog hunt this year really got me a uh, good grasp of this because I kind of tried some different stuff. Um, but I think the best method for public land knife stuff, especially when you're talking about whitetail and smaller, is your regular um, pocket knife and bring a knife sharpener with you. These Smith knife sharpeners, I've got a little yellow yep. one. Uh, it's got you know a coarse and a fine. I never use the fine. I think it's silly. But a coarse carbide. Uh, sharpener and then uh-huh. a cheap pocket knife you can get it super sharp like a did i tell you this a gerber that whatever the steel they make those out of mm-hmm. it gets super sharp super quick and easy mm-hmm. but you know it dulls obviously mm-hmm. pretty easy too but like just hit that thing a few times and it's sharp oh yeah I mean? so yeah just a, a general cheap pocket knife <laughs> like a gerber or mine's like a five dollar one from real tree i mean mm-hmm. it is like a a dinker mm-hmm. okay and uh, I throw it at trees all the time uh, because I just love doing that. But uh, just take that thing, put a couple licks on it, and then you just go to Not with it. your tongue, though. No, no, no. Don't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> That'd be bad. Um, so Something like a Tootsie Pop. No, don't do that. Uh, um, so game bags. Uh, again, most of your Texas WMAs, for deer at least, are going to require you to bring the animal out whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suggest on hogs – uh, unless you just really want a whole hog, I would suggest doing a gutless style method on a pig. Um, so what you're going to do is just start out right at the top of the tail and just run your knife from the top of that tail all the way up to really where its neck kind of starts in front Man, of the we shoulders. We should have showed this process on video. Yeah, we talked about it, and then we were like, hey, it's kind of gruesome, you know, because you got to be weird with YouTube nowadays. Sure, you sure. know, they're kind of, they like to the flag stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears> but... You do that, and then you'll come down right there and kind of just make a slit in the skin all the way down to the bottom of its of its neck, and kind of you'll go back to the base of the tail and go down the back of the ham and take another slit down. Kind of what you're working on is being able to fold that big flap back. Just making a taco out yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah ta- pig tacos. <laughs> and then from there, you can take out the back strap and then take the the ham off you know, the come, shoulder yeah, if you the want. shoulder if you want the shoulder if it's a big enough pig and then you can get to the tenderloin there with hogs i don't ever worry about the heart because something about pigs are just a little bit nastier mm-hmm. i've done quite a bit of work with hogs when it comes to field testing and stuff so <laughs> i stay away from their hearts um and really the other good thing about doing gutless method on pigs is that you don't have to deal with the salmonella and stuff that they actually in e coli that they carry in their 
uh, intestinal system. Mm-hmm. So you're a lot safer that way too. Yeah. So on that, um, I mean, one big game bag will probably work for all that. And KC can do it faster than anybody I know now because <laughs> he did like nine. I've done a bunch. I've done a bunch of hog skin in my life. Man. Um, so. On deer, though, they are probably going to require you to take it out in a lot of places, uh-huh. uh, whole, that is. Yeah. And so you're going to end up wanting to gut that animal and put it on a game cart, mm-hmm. probably. And you can get some cheap game carts. A lot of times you can find some for sale on, like, Facebook Marketplace that are pretty cheap and barely used. Um, yeah. Just be careful that somebody doesn't call a um, game cart or call something a game cart that is actually um, a dolly. Yeah, <laughs> it's painted camo, you yeah. know. I've seen Spray dollies painted. in the woods for sure that people like to leave to, yeah. you know, to haul out. Or and whatever. I mean, you can make it work, but you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah, kick yourself. You make anything work. I that. wouldn't suggest doing those deer drag. Like I wouldn't get the. If you have the money for a game cart, do it. We drug Nameless out like a long ways. Oh my goodness, <laughs> he probably huge still deer. weighed like 180 <laughs> pounds with his guts out. Yeah. Uh, so when you go to gutting deer, uh, use everything you want to. But if we're going to be frank, the heart is about the only thing really like I, that I'm going to make sure I save out of yeah. the deer. Uh, you know, people eat liver or whatever. It's it's not my favorite thing. So KC um, likes the lungs too. Ooh. But, um, <laughs> oh, that's a joke for sorry. Yeah, the stomach We've got lining. Newbies listening here. <laughs> Don't yeah. take the lungs. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, do whatever you want to. Yeah. But I, uh, just in our opinion, my opinion. I'm going to save the heart, and that's about it, out of the inside of the deer. Uh, Everything else is just you kind of pushing it. And nothing goes to waste. You know, something's going to eat it. It'll be fine. That night, pretty much. that night, for sure. For sure. Even if it's, I mean, if the deer was still alive, it would probably eat it that night. Oh, (laughs) man. Because we've seen that happen before, too. Just crazy. Anyway. So I bought my game cart on Amazon. Uh, It's the one that we've been using for quite a while. I don't remember how much it was. It was like 45 bucks or something like that. It was not expensive. Uh, definitely a a good purchase. Yeah. Um, when you get it back and you're going to put ice on it, um, you know, you want to quarter, once they allow you to, you want to probably quarter up that um, that deer and put it in your ice chest as quarters. And at that point, man, you know, if you're to that point, you know, if you're, okay, so for instance, if you're hunting a, a lease or you're hunting a private spot or whatever in Texas here, there's going to be somewhere, you know, 15 miles away that probably would, process your deer for mm-hmm. you but um and i and i've had a lot of deer process for me we've got a really good meat packer here uh, close to us in sulfur springs mm-hmm. that does the best the best summer sausage you've ever had dude it's pretty hard to beat it is so good mm-hmm. man but um and so like getting that that kind of thing going is is uh is good man because you can give away sticks of that yeah. for christmas and stuff you know but um anyway if you've already broke the deer down into quarters because it's a public land deer and you're trying to get into an ice chest and you've traveled and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you pretty much might as well just finish the, the whole processing job, you know? Yeah. So it's really, sure. and I don't have a grinder guys. So like KC's got a grinder. Um, he's going to grind a lot of the extra meat and stuff like that. And this takes me a little more time probably, but I end up just cutting it into, I just cube it into what I call stew meat. And basically everything that's not a roast, a backstrap, um, I guess that's pretty much it. A backstrap or a tenderloin um, is pretty much going to get cubed into what I call stew meat, and I put a bunch of cubes in a in a ziploc and freeze it, and end up thawing it out at some point and browning it. And you can turn it. I mean, you can make good stews, and uh, you could put it into uh, spaghetti and make different kinds of like kind of gravy uh, type 
dishes and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I mean, so it's good to have a good wild game cookbook. I think yeah, that's a good yeah. thing that's to have. Good, that's a good point, man. And uh, if you're if you live in a more urban environment, sometimes it's just difficult to process deer. I mean, mm-hmm. we like Tyler we talk, and I talk about it all the time. We usually have weird living situations, but one thing <laughs> we always usually have is a, a way to sprawl out. Mm-hmm. and kind of get stuff spread out and do some processing and stuff. But, like, if you live in an apartment in town, like, kudos to you if you can process your own deer. True. I, I probably wouldn't go through it. I would get somebody to do it. But at the same time, I take a lot of pride in being able to process my own stuff, and I like to do it. So if you mm-hmm. have the passion for that, do it. It's a lot of fun. And learn how to do it if if you if you feel so inclined to. It's a lot of work, so leave yourself an entire day. That's much, right. Or more. If, if you kill person. an elk, okay, I know we're talking Texas public, but if you go kill an elk, it's going to take you a week. <laughs> so if you took a week off a of vacation for the the hunt, you better take a week off for the processing. Just to yeah. let you know, uh, Tyler. The hardest question mm-hmm. that we were asked is in this section. Do you know what it is? Um, the head and rack. Mm-mm. What do you do with the carcass after you've quartered the deer? That is a hard, hard question. Yeah, it's a tough question. So, uh, there's, I bet you most of them get illegally dumped. Well, maybe not most. Of them. Yeah. A lot of carcasses get illegally dumped somewhere or another in a lake or whatever. I'm not going to suggest you do that. Bar ditches, man. Yeah. So like, that's not a good doing? look for us hunters. Um, I think that personally, WMA should provide a place for that. To Some go. WMAs will let you leave the carcass. Yeah. Um, on the property? On the property, yeah. I think that's smart because it's just a way to replenish resources. Like, you're not yeah. removing nutrients at that, or not as much. Or spreading CWD. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, personally, for, I'm lucky that my in-laws have a dumpster. Like, they have mm-hmm. a full-fledged, like, it's kind of a mini dumpster, but it's still a dumpster, yeah. so you can throw it in there. Anywhere you go, trash is trash. Uh, so just take that thing home. If you can't find a place to put it, put it in a big trash bag and put it in the in the trash can. And, they'll and check it. your CWD regulations because yeah. uh, there are certain um, proposals and regulations that are in place right now to just make sure that people don't, like, they know what to do with them, essentially. Mm-hmm. So there are places that, like, burn them or whatever, I guess. And yeah different deals so you just kind of got to see what your local state we're talking texas here but mm-hmm. uh whatever your local state is so I guess. Uh, with that too like if you don't know what to do with your carcass and there's not a good place for you to put it call the game warden and tell him your scenario and i'm not going to say it's his job to find you something but like he should probably he or she should probably uh, think it's cool that you are worried about that and mm-hmm. help you find a place to put that carcass. Yeah. That's what I think. For sure. You it, could even maybe imply like, hey, I really need you to help me figure this out. Yeah. Um, there's a few more questions that are actually pretty good and difficult in this in this section. Yeah. And we've got to kind of move because we got to uh, we got to get rolling on gotta a move, different move. conference call yeah. here. But um, anyway, so there's uh, some questions about like if you make a bad shot on a deer hog, mm-hmm. um how long do you track it through the night? Wait until morning. These are all things that you just got to think about, and you got to. Uh, we could go through it all right now, and I, I don't think that we have quite the time, or even really. Um, I don't know that we could really do it thoroughly enough. But there's a lot of different talk about it out there. I would read some articles if I was you. Mm-hmm. Do some research. Um, depends you, on where it's hit, kind of. Yeah. You know what I'll I mean? give you a baseline. If at all possible, don't leave it overnight. That's kind of the, the baseline. You <laughs> yeah. don't have to report. To game warden, if you if you shoot an animal and don't find it, they they figure for uh, wound loss. 
uh, in every state whenever it comes to tag allocations. Yeah, and judging from some of the people I've been talking about or talking to lately, there's a lot of wind loss. There is, man. <laughs> there is. Um, so it's it's part of it's part of the the uh, activity that we do. It's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. You want to try to be as lethal as possible. KC and I shoot all spring and summer, trying to make sure that we don't. And sometimes yeah. you know it still happens. But and. Uh, the, he's asking about the mandatory check stations at WMAs. The way it works is you pull up there. A lot of times there's not even anybody there. Mm-hmm. You either have to fill out a card or sometimes they have a scale there for you to weigh your animal, and then you go on for there. But yeah. you were talking about being lethal, and that's going to roll into the next subject mm-hmm. of arrows and broadheads. Yeah. Right? And you were super lethal this year, man. Like you freaking smoke things. This year I was. I was proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, his bow's set to 61 pounds, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing that means it goes to 70, right? Well, I guess it could be. It might yeah, be 60 be pound 60 limbs because usually they'll go up to about 61, 62. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Um, if it's a 60 pound bow, then um, he's, you're going to know more about this. Arrows cut 27 inches, 400 grain arrows. How many arrows um, should he plan to carry? Um, his quiver holds three. That's on the low side, probably. It is on the low side. I've seen you carry three. <laughs> I do it a lot. Uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't do it uh, like. I wouldn't go in all day with just three. You know, if you're going in for an evening hunt, there's not a good chance you're going to use three. But, uh, I mean, you're just splitting hairs at this point in time. Yeah. Right? Like, just bring no pun bring intended. as many as – yeah, exactly. Hopefully you get more than hair. <laughs> um, bring as many as you can, uh, I'd say. Don't – I used to be pretty bad about this, but honestly it's it's not really something you need to do. Don't carry one, like, uh, on your bow ready to go. Yeah. Not very often you're actually going to do that. Yeah. So I used to do it all the time. As soon as I got in the woods, I'd put an arrow on and mm-hmm. start walking. And it, it doesn't do you much good. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, probably more Elk dangerous. different. You know, it's one. that's another thing I was thinking yeah. about when we were, because we had some people that were like, man, you should do this and that when you're hanging a stand and this and that in our, our video the other day. And I'm like, man, I mean, you could, you could uh, get hurt putting a broadhead on a, on a mm-hmm. string. You know what I mean? I mean, the, it, there's, times that you can get hurt doing stuff so we just can't live our life being afraid all the time it's good to be safe for sure and i think this is one of those things that you look at as uh weighing risk versus reward mm-hmm. and and the risk is probably a little too much for what the actual reward is going to be you know so um but yeah i would carry uh as many arrows as you can um you know f- up to a half dozen or so probably mm-hmm. um and then he asked if light and knocks worth a buy I don't know what how much they are, but I would say a lighted knock is a pretty cool thing to have. Not just cool, but a useful yeah. thing to have mm-hmm. um, because it'll help you find your arrow. Um, it'll help you, which can help you uh, yeah. understand where the hit was. And it can also help you understand where the hit was pretty pretty well, too, because mm-hmm. you can see a lot better uh, where that arrow disappears. So. Yeah, and uh, he's, you know, you're talking about lethality. His bow set at 61 pounds. Pretty much where Tyler and I are at these days is that the heavier the arrow in general, heavier arrows are a better thing, right? So, yeah. like, you're not going to outrun the deer's ears. It's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? So shoot something that's going to get the job done no matter what. And I know that other guys are going to tell you the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I'm not saying they're wrong, but from where we're at, a heavy arrow with a fixed blade on it does a mm-hmm. pretty good job, yeah. right? Now, you've shot light and, and uh-huh. expandables and so have I, and we've, we've killed stuff with that too. But for right now, like the day sixes we're shooting right now, I mean, they're just... They're money. They're yeah. tough. They don't break. They're quiet because yeah. they're heavy. Um, also, we we shot this year. We shot the um, day six broadheads as well. Mm-hmm. You shot the one twenty fives, the bigger yeah. ones. Yeah, and yeah I the shot Evo the, X's. Yeah. and I think this year I'm going to go to just to the Evos because the the broader your broadhead, 
is, especially fixed blade, the more finicky it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go actually down to the one and an eighth, I think is what they are. They're mm-hmm. the uh, the Evos and shoot those, the 125. And I shot those in 100. Mm-hmm. And they worked very well. Smoke City. Smoke City. So, I mean, you can kill stuff with all kinds of stuff, you know what I mean? But that's what we have settled on um, so far. That's what we're using last year and, and this year. And um, they worked really well last year. So uh, just make sure, you know, that whatever broadhead you choose, that you choose something that you can get tuned up and feel pretty comfortable uh, at 20 yards with. Shoot right? that broadhead before you go in the woods. Yes, yes. And then sharpen it. Mm-hmm. If you or shoot, shoot the same a one. similar one, yes. we we had I think we had like six broadheads or so each, and we would shoot like one or two for practice, mm-hmm. and the other four were hunting. Mm-hmm. And so you got to denote which that is, you know, mark on them with a permanent marker or something. But anyway, on to tree stands. Um, anything on like when and how to set up or take down at the end of the day, which we kind of address some of that in that video that I was telling you about, mm-hmm. uh, telling everybody about just a second ago, how to hang a tree stand. You know, we've got a playlist that's called How to Hunt Deer More Effectively. And if you want to go look at that on YouTube, hopefully there's some stuff in there that can help you, um, whether you're a newbie or not. So uh, how many sticks should you use? How high on public land is it safe to leave your setup? Um, when leaving the tree for midday break or should you take it down after each morning hunt and so i would say this if you're kayaking in i would not leave during the middle of the day because mm-hmm. you are putting a lot of work on yourself um i would hunt um november because it's great and i would stay there all day if you're going to be way back in there um bring lunch bring snacks uh bring power for your phone so you can surf on instagram and stuff yeah. like that while you're back there depending on where you're at um it's legal to leave your stand up all season. You have to remove it before and after mm-hmm. season. If you found a place that's going to be your hunting spot, leave that sucker. Yeah, you know, and maybe buy you a cheaper stand or whatever that way you feel okay about leaving it. And uh, one of the things that we do a lot of times whenever we leave stands for you know extended period of time, more than a day, is uh, we'll just take like the bottom two sticks off and leave it up in the tree. That way, a you don't have people hunting your your stand whenever you're not there. You know sitting scent and scaring deer mm-hmm. and be like it's a whole lot harder for them to to steal it so that would be yeah. kind of my suggestion is like don't don't feel bad about not taking your stand down mm-hmm. at the end of every hunt and don't waste that effort if you're going to hunt there pretty yeah pretty close for sure to that. people in our experience don't steal stands they steal truck cameras yeah you know what i mean yeah. it's like you can pop a truck camera off the tree but to get up and climb into a, a tree and grab a a stand you know if it's a cheap stand mm-hmm. it's going to be a heavy steel stand you know it's mm-hmm. like people don't care to do that so yeah. uh it should be good um and like i said you know if you're sitting there if you know go hunt november don't go out there in early october unless you have lots of brownie points you yeah. know what i mean yeah so. for sure <clears throat> you know something that you've kind of opened my eyes to is the uh how high in the tree mm-hmm. question so tell us a little bit about that yeah um it's I, like okay so here's my mentality is if i'm gonna go hunt i usually take three to four sticks and usually four if i can uh just depends like sometimes i just don't want to carry that much weight or whatever but i'm gonna carry three to four sticks and i'm gonna get as high as i possibly can up to about 20 feet a legit 20 feet is pretty dang high so mm-hmm. um i would say um i hunted i probably killed my deer all three deer on public land last year at an average of 14 feet or so. So not... So you hung less than 14 before? I mean, yeah, I was. I would say like um, I was probably 13, you know, legitimately 13 to 14 foot in the air on almost every kill this year. And I've hunted a ton at 10 to 15 feet. 
and been just fine. The thing that whitetails see when you're hang, hanging 10 feet or more in the ground or over the ground is uh, movement. They're not they're not going to see you just sitting still in a stand and, and freak out most of the time. Um, there, <laughs> we did have a public land doe one time pick us off at about 12 feet. Yeah. We were not moving. <laughs> yeah. She was just a wired up crazy girl. Yeah. I mean, it, and it that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's part of hunting. You know, that's part of it, man. Uh, you could have been another six feet higher and the same thing happened mm-hmm. too, you know. Sometimes so, you're just a big brown blob in a tree. That's what it boils down to, man. Yeah. Like, especially if you're in a, a big oak or something like that, dude, you could sit 10 feet off the ground and kill. I mean, dude, the old timers used to do it with all kinds of junk and have, uh, you know, plenty of success with old bows that had you know no peep sight and no you know d loop and mm-hmm. they sat in a, a wooden tree stand that was 10 w- foot in off a the wooden ground stool yeah yeah <laughs> on a wooden stool you know and so yeah i mean dude it can be done a lot of different ways don't don't worry about getting super high up in a tree stand if you're going to go look at like if you're going to try to look at like oh what's the best climbing system and you start surfing the internet you're going to find all these guys that naders re- aiders swaders persuaders <laughs> naders daters <laughs> daters they they literally could care less about killing a deer i think sometimes <laughs> they li- they only care about how few steps they can use to get 32 foot in the tree you That's know right. what i mean and so don't worry about that too much. Yeah, that stuff is helpful to know. To and have it's the cool. And honestly, I get it too. If you're a guy who lives in the city and you got a nine to five, I was that guy for a long time. Uh, sometimes all you can do to make yourself feel like you're getting to be a better hunter is to work on your gear. And mm-hmm. I get that. So, but don't obsess about it and put all your effort there whenever you do have time and money to be putting effort towards other things. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I've hunted eight foot to 30 foot pretty much from a tree in a tree. And I think once you get higher, um, shot angles and distance judgment can kind of get, uh, weird sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I would just, you know, like I said, I try to take three to four sticks and get anywhere from 10 to 20 feet. And, and so use, uh, branches as much as possible to get up. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of a interesting question. You pack the stand on your backpack or carry it. I think it just is. Uh, situational. I've done. Mm-hmm. I do. I've done both. I, I actually end up liking to carry my stand yeah, in that's one what arm I wrote down here and, too. and my bow in the other. But there's been plenty of times we put the stand on our back yep. and, and go. I'm and, usually uh, a pack guy. On this, uh, t- Tyler. Tyler is the middle aged mutant ninja turtle. <laughs> uh, middle aged. That's not, that's kind of cruel. That gum it, dude. No, we're not middle aged. What uh, are we, man? We're not. We're not like teenage mutant ninja turtle. We're like mature. There you go, mature, fully mature, mature beast, swole neck, <laughs> swole necks. <laughs> um, but um, I will. I think that there's a good chance you see us hunting out of uh, tree saddles a lot this year, so probably won't be carrying much. For we stands. paid our dues, man. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. We have carried some stuff in the woods, dude. Let me tell you something. For a long time, Tyler was real apprehensive about the saddle thing because he'd always I still be like, am. I don't want to wear a diaper in the tree. <laughs> So, um, the next thing he asked was about testing the wind. We kind of already covered that with the milkweed. Yeah. Uh, he says, well, cotton work, uh, anything you can find that's light enough to float around, we'll do the job and mm-hmm. do the trick. Leg hair, right? Like it works. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm pulling my beard right now. Um, <laughs> backpack, uh, we actually did a whitetail pack dump video that'll be coming out pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just talked about... A lot of things I carry in my in my pack, and it was it was really comprehensive. Some of those things I even put on there are like you can tell are optional, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, I put a pair of shears in there. You don't have to have those. Uh, it's nice to have a, a saw of some sort or something. Um, 
of course, all the normal essentials: water, toilet paper, toilet paper, Which food, a knife, and a light. Those, yeah, for real. Those those things like if you food, water, a knife, and TP. I would say two be, flashlights. I like. To, I always have at least two headlamps or a, fl- or a flashlight. Tyler likes to leave one of his headlamps on. That's one of the things you really. That's likes. the thing, like, <laughs> dude. If okay, so there's another tip: is if you um, once you get to your stand in the morning. And you turn your headlamp off, flip one of the batteries. Yeah, if you got the time, do that for <laughs> sure. Because if you put it back in your pack, it will for sure turn on. <laughs> and then that afternoon or night when you walk out, you won't have a light. And it'll be the worst experience of your life because yeah. you're getting Greenbrier the whole way through and yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, you, you don't ever really need as much food as you think you do, but you usually need more water than you think you do. Because you, you might end up washing your hands, washing off a knife or whatever. So just kind of keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Some thoughts I have just as like general are we kind of through with that i guess i mean backpack yeah generally like some thoughts i have um are you done with the the pack thing yeah yeah just make sure you bring plenty of warm clothes put that on there too yeah and don't be afraid to strap stuff on the outside of your backpack yeah we do that with bungee cords big bungee cord guy my pack has got a bunch of buckles and strappies so Mm -hmm. i can kind of do that but uh yeah don't be afraid you're not just limited to the inside of the pack and pack the pack the backpack at least pack the pack pack the pack uh, when you at least when you first are going on the trip, by day three things go haywire. But pack it in the order you expect to use stuff. That's right. So don't put your uh, you know don't put your warmest layer on the top of your pack because you're going to be still hot when you climb that tree. Pack your stuff. You know, obviously, like you, if you have a tree bracket or um, you know if you got steps. Um, like I've got these little steps that um, I carry in my backpack now a lot. And I'm going to put those where they're at the top of the pack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All our camera stuff goes at the bottom of the pack usually um, because that's the la- one of the last things we put up. So think about it th- like that as well. A um, couple of other thoughts. You know, make sure you read the regs thoroughly. Um, practice shooting scenarios. Like string jump tends to be the worst from like 25 to 32 yards or somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. You know, tw- say 25 to 35-ish string jump can be the worst. So shoot low. Uh, in Texas all the time and in other states when the deer's look in your direction or you've had to grunt stop it or something. Um, and when I say shoot low, um, you know, do some research on that. I'm not talking about necessarily shooting under the deer or anything, but depending on the deer's mentality and, and uh, physical stance and everything else. Really, uh, I think you could even say if you're a newbie, um, set yourself up for short shots, 20, yes. 20 yards and less. 100%. Try to make sure that that's what you're doing. I'm I'm real guilty of setting myself up for further shots than what I should probably be taking, and I think that cumulated for me this year at the end of my season. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to really refocus on that in the 2020 season. Yeah. Um, also, when you get set up um, in an after, for an afternoon, I would say mark limbs while it's light. Like, like mentally so that you like as it gets darker you don't hit one actually mm-hmm. uh, also we've talked about this but envision your shots when you get set up and you're sitting there and everything's kind of boring because it's early in the afternoon or whatever start looking at your holes and thinking well okay i expect a deer to come from this direction what am i going to do how would i picture that mentally mm-hmm. in my mind happening oh something we haven't talked about at all uh, that's a pretty important thing in our state is you're not allowed to screw into any trees mm-hmm. uh, so um, you really need to consider that when you start thinking about your steps, when you start thinking about your bow hanger and your hanging your backpack and your tree stand. Mm-hmm. Most tree stands don't screw in, but like 
the I mean, everybody goes and gets the easy hanger at, at Walmart, mm-hmm. right, and, and puts it in a tree. And you're not supposed to legally do that, okay? So you have to Which think I about it. it's just... It's silly, okay? It's but silly, man. It's the world we live in. I think it's dangerous, too, yeah. at times. I think, I think you should be able to, at the very least, have one... Like, there should be a one screw in... <laughs> you know, like you can have one screw in it. It must have a bow. It must be for a bow hanging use only. Yeah. So, but you need to consider that and think about it. You also can't technically trim trees, so you can't make you a um, little bow hanger spot legally. Yeah. So, how are you going to circumvent that? What are you going to do about it? Uh, Tyler and I have used like different types of clips and stuff, but there's not a great answer uh, for it. So, some just stands that. have like a bow holder on them, which yeah. is nice if you're using that kind of stand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. It's a difficult thing, man, to, to, to figure out. So um, I would say also take a lot of paper towels um, just to wipe your hands or to eat sandwiches on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and put them in a Ziploc, too, because yeah. a lot of times... And I'm talking about not necessarily to the stand, but I mean... Oh, in your truck and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know, you. just in your truck when you go out of state. Yeah. Um, you know, make sure I always try to have paper towels in my truck. Um, it could be anything from changing the oil to, you know, getting deer blood off your hands after you gut it so you can mm-hmm. you know write with a pen or whatever and all different things and, and a couple of water jugs or at least one big water jug you know um uh, casey and i have been guilty several times of just buying like a 88 cent gallon of water you know just to take on a trip if we need it it's a way to in do a pinch it. um so um anyway i would say have a positive mental attitude Ooh, casey good one. does this way better than i do um and just know that i'll be frank you're probably not going to kill on public in Texas for a year or two, and on any really public across the state. There's there's a good chance it's going to be tough, man. And um, with that, d- just manage your expectations. Exactly. Like if you see a doe in range and you're a new hunter, you freaking did something, man. That's Shoot right. that thing and be happy about it. How about the spike? You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like KC did it, and he's hunted a long time. He did it like two years ago. <laughs> I was stoked. Too. He was stoked, and I was stoked, man. We were like freaking out. If you haven't seen that video, we call it Meat Buck Video, but it's actually titled like uh, Texas Public Land Buck 2018 or something like that. It's uh, it's in our playlist from somewhere around January or February of 2018, mm-hmm. I think. But anyway, um, shoot a spike, man. You know what I mean? Like don't don't let these TV shows and stuff tell you that you that a spike. On public land is not a cool thing or whatever, you know. So, um, but I will say this we've had like several listeners send pictures of them doing it on public in their first year attempting it. Yeah. Like big, big bucks, you know, and stuff. I mean, we're like dead gummit. It happens. It happens. (laughs) And I'll tell you this maybe as a newbie who knows less, you end up being a better hunter because you've got less of these like premonitions about how things Ooh. should be or whatever, oh, you know? Yeah. So, but I would definitely, again, go private. If you can learn deer behavior the best you can. Uh, it's not that the deer are necessarily easier. It's that you don't have to deal with the human effects mm-hmm. that are on public land and like the unknown that can make your hunt more difficult yeah. essentially. So like I said, don't let big hunting media culture tell you that it's not cool to throw some corn down and kill a deer either. Um, you know, that's, that's just fine. I think if it's legal in your state, Go throw some corn down and kill you a deer. Learn how how to do it. Learn how to provide some meat for you or your family, and uh, have a good time with it. Yeah, that's yep. kind of where I'm at, man. I like it, man. I like it. I think that uh, our talk is going to help a lot of people, and it's helped me kind of reconsider some things too. So, uh, Chris, thanks for all the questions, yeah, man. Dude. That's a, that was a really good list of stuff. I cannot tell you how much I want you to have success this year, mm-hmm. and anybody listening to this, <clears> like, man, I just love the idea of. Uh, helping 
other folks find a way to to hunt and kill deer and, and other stuff too and hopefully hopefully we can do that and you should have uh, been a guide man <sighs> i should not have been i did that a little bit it is not my favorite thing no it's not it mine either. not not i mean if you use guides it's fine but it's just like being a guide was not a fun no, thing it's for not. me so it's not yeah. um i would say uh finally at the end here also just make sure we've mentioned several videos we're going to do the, the bag dump that one probably won't be out um you know when this podcast first airs but i'm hoping that the how to pack a truck is out when this podcast airs and um, like i said we've got a playlist called how to hunt deer more effectively and it's got anything from uh what will be that truck packing video to um how to shoot a deer at close range so mm-hmm. we're talking like five yards and in or whatever um how to hang a tree stand all these different things so yeah go check all that stuff out and um, any other thoughts, man, here at the end? I mean, That's it, man. Like Be I, positive. I love yes, that. Yeah. I love that message, man. Yeah. Be positive about it. We're, we're here having fun, doing what we love to do. So remember that, and remember this is your element. Living it. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels it can also generate income in both the near and long term like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across america enough dreaming about it land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space 